just try it with me. It could be, it could be a suck fest. That's fine, but we'll all be in it together. I don't think it will be. I have peers that tell me it's amazing and cool. So just roll with me on this and we'll see what's going on. Okay. All of that. Uh, that was a lot of, of uh, preamble. Okay. So what I want you to do uh, is on your sheet, you have one side is the biblical text. On the other side, you have a grid. It says Pictionary on top of it. Now, we're not actually going to play Pictionary, but if you want to on your own time, then you're welcome to do that. But I want you to draw four pictures with your own hand. So there should be pins on the table or close by and borrow them, share them as you need to. The first box on the upper left-hand corner, I want you to draw this. Wheat, like the grain, wheat and weeds. Wheat and weeds. That's weeds with an S because you people are from California. And if I tell you to draw wheat and weeds, you might think I'm saying wheat and weed, which is a whole different thing. <laughs> Some of you would be shocked to call that a weed. But anyway, wheat and weeds is in the upper left-hand corner. The upper right-hand corner, I want you to do your best job drawing a picture of an angel. An angel. Could be Angel Pagan. Oh, nobody got my joke. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Trudy. An angel. You know, angels. On the lower left-hand corner, I want you to draw a cairn. Do you know what a cairn is? A cairn is a, is a is stacked rocks. You see this on trails. You see this on beaches, you know, where they just get some sort of flat rocks and stack them up. They're sort of like a marker. Um, draw a cairn for me. They're often flat rocks, and the National Park Service, they actually use these as trail markers, and they, they tell you, don't mess with the, with the top rock because it's pointing the direction of the trail, and if you screw, <laughs> if you screw that up, who knows where uh, people are going to end up. And the final corner on the lower right-hand uh, part of the grid, I want you to draw the world, the globe, and over that globe, I want you to draw a peace sign. Okay. All right. So you keep working on that. You're welcome to, uh, you know, continue to make those look beautiful uh, as my talk uh, continues. So on the other side of your handout, for those of you who are ready to give up your drawing, uh, is the text that we're going to look at today. And I wanted to give it to you so you could see it. And before I uh, talk about this text, I want to make mention of the translation that I'm using today. This is called the New Revised uh, Trans New Revised Standard Translation, Standard Version, sorry. Used to be called the Revised Standard Version. That's the one my dad graduated seminary with. It still had some of the antiquated language of thous and these and, and that kind of thing. And the New Revised Standard Version came out in the 1980s and was shocking to the world because it used inclusive language. What does that mean? It means that any time in the Greek or the Hebrew word where it, uh, a pronoun, which could be uh, his or her or brothers and sisters, uh, they told you it was his or hers or brothers and sisters or he or she. Whereas like the New International Version and other versions up to that point, they would always defer to a male pronoun. It would always be his. It, uh, it would 
almost it would always be men, even if it was talking about everybody. And so NRSV was the first a large scale translation to do that. And it's a highly uh, reputable um, uh, translation. My email that I sent out to you uh, Friday evening gave you a short article from Pete Enns, who's a great biblical scholar, on different translations. And he recommends this one above others because it's very, very good. It's a combination between readability and accuracy with the original language in kind of close to the original order of the language. Now, you might, might say to yourself, if you've been paying attention, why don't you use this translation all the time then? if this is the best one that you're supposed to use. And the reason for that is I use primarily New Living Translation, which is not the same as the Living Bible many years ago, but it's a different one. I use that one and I use the message mostly. And the reason I do is because they are more reader friendly. They're more understandable. Uh, this, in this particular passage, there weren't a whole lot of differences between the translations. So I went with this one. But in other translations, this one will come off much more clunky uh, than the others. But today I give you the new revised standard version. So we're talking about Jacob and uh, I'll talk more about him in a minute. Um, but Jacob, uh, he was the grandson of Abraham. Let's just start with that. And he was a mixed bag of a human being like we all are. What happened right before this, the reason why Jacob left Beersheba uh, is because his brother Ishmael wanted to kill him. And Jacob knew that that was a serious threat. The reason he knew that was a... Wait a minute, did I get the brother wrong? I got the, Esau, right, sorry. I get, my, I get my patriarchs mixed up a little bit. Esau, the hairy one was his name. Uh, Esau, uh, the hairy guy, uh, was an avid hunter, and he was a skilled hunter. Jacob knew that if he didn't get out of town fast, he literally could be dead because his brother had no problem uh, with with the bow and arrow and the knife and whatever it would take. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood behind him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Uh, in the Jewish scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, it, it adds a pause. It says, Surely the Lord was in this place, and I... I did not know. And he, Jacob, was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. 
He called that place Beth-El, but the name of the city was Luz at first. Then, oh, Bethel means house of God. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give one-tenth to you. So I don't have one singular point uh, that I want to talk about today, uh, but this is a story, and there's a lot of things happening in this story that I think are of great value. And so I want to walk through, why is this working? I want to walk through what some of those things were. This is a picture, kind of an artist's rendering of Jacob on the run, and he falls asleep and has this dream of this staircase with the angels and all that. Uh, It's very interesting. The reason I had you draw this Uh, wheat and weeds. Jesus, uh, in his teaching, he gives a parable about the wheat and the tares, or the wheat and the weeds. And he talks about how um, the idea is that a farmer goes out and he throws seed into his field, the wheat seed into his field. But sometime overnight, somebody comes in and sabotages his field and they throw uh, wheat, or not wheat, weed uh, seeds in there, or tares. And you don't know that they're in there until everything is growing. They used a scatter method uh, back then. So everything kind of grew together. Uh, they didn't have plows and all that stuff. And so you wouldn't know what you had until they started to come up. And then tares apparently looked a lot like wheat. Wheat is on the left and tares are on the right. You want the wheat, you don't want the tares. And so uh, people asked the, the master in this parable, what do we do? Should we pull out the, the weeds then? And in the parable, Jesus says that the farmer says, No, don't tear them out because you'll tear up the wheat with it. Basically, at the end of time, when things are all done, then the wheat will be separated from the weeds. And what I want to say to you is that we see in Jacob a picture of a human being who is both wheat and weeds. This is a guy who is very, very sharp. He's one of two sons from Isaac. Uh, Esau, who was his dad's favorite, uh, was the hunter, the man's man. While Jacob stayed home, under the tutelage of his mother, who I think was probably brilliant. As the father's estate grew, Jacob learned what it was to manage an estate, while his brother uh, went out and did manly things, fishing and hunting and all that. His brain capacity, Jacob's, And his leadership capacity continued to grow. It was his mother's idea to rip off Esau. Because she knew between the two, the big bully Esau, the tough guy, the tough talker, was probably going to lead their household into ruin. Because he was motivated by his passions and his ego. But Jacob, she thought, who she'd seen grow and mature in his leadership capacity. He had the capacity to actually lead their estate forward in strength. I think that's why she knew they had to get this done. And they colluded together, working together to make sure that old blind Isaac would give his blessing to the wrong son. And as soon as he had it, Jacob, 
And as soon as Esau figured it out, Jacob knew he had to scoot because Esau was going to be close behind. He's running from his life. And he, he is because he deserved it. He was a jerk. He didn't go about this in any other way. If you want to blame the cultural context and say, well, there was no other way, okay, go ahead. But either way, he totally ripped off his brother and deceived his father. Terrible things to do now and especially in antiquity. You don't, just don't do that kind of a thing to your father in that day and age. It is a, an incredible dishonor and disrespect. It's audacious to do such a thing. Jacob was a deceiver. That's what his name literally means, a deceiver. And while he had these patriarchal qualities to him, and we'll find out that he was that cornerstone for what was going to develop into the 12 tribes of Israel. He was a mixed bag. And he didn't get it all right all the time. He had his wheat that his mother saw and helped cultivate, but he also had his weeds that his mother also helped cultivate. And I want to say to you that we're all wheat and weeds. And you're never going to be done with your wheat or weeds until the day you die. And I think it's much better for us to just own that. Now, some of you today, uh, you grew up in environments where you were told that you were just weeds. <laughs> Nothing good about you from either behavior or what was coming out of people's mouths. Or maybe you just told yourself because of societal issues and all that stuff. And what you need to hear today from me is, no, you're not just weeds. You're wheat and weeds. Yeah, we've all got our weeds. <laughs> But within you is this kernel. Within you is the reflection of God. Imago Dei. You are good. You're human. But at your core, you are good. The original blessing story in Genesis 1 sticks. And you need to own that and celebrate that. Now, some of you uh, may be more on the politician side of things. And you are really heavily focused on your wheatfulness <laughs> and walking around like, I'm wheat. I am wheat. Vote for me. Wheat. <laughs> because you feel so good about your wheatfulness. And here's what I want to tell you. You're wheat. Yes. And you're also weeds. And the sooner you figure that out, it's going to make your life a whole lot better and everybody else's life better too. This does not mean you become a groveler. It does not mean you have this worm theology or this terrible person. It is simply bringing things into balance. You are a human being. You are wheat. You are fearfully and wonderful made. And you are a human being weed who is going to get it wrong sometimes. Because we can't see everything. We are not omniscient. We can't know everything. We're unaware of all the influences in our lives that are bringing us to this point in time in history. We can't see ourselves very well in this particular context because we're in it right now. That was Jacob's problem. There was no way as he was drifting off to sleep that night with his head on a rock pillow that he was thinking and wondering to himself, gosh, what were all those motivations that led me to this point with Esau that I would deceive my own father and my brother and now I'm running for my life. My name means deceiver. What were all those emotional things that happened in my childhood that led me to right now? What's my existential angst all about anyway? How come the world is treating me like this? How am I supposed to understand anything when I have a Ptolemaic cosmology? He did not say that <laughs> because he didn't know to say that. 
Because generally, us human beings, we're not particularly reflective. We generally just motor through life until something stops us in our tracks. And then we're like, oh, okay. I need to take a moment and check myself, recognizing that I'm wheat and I'm weeds. This was uh, a, a strong point in one of Richard Rohr's um, devotionals a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago today. And I remember reading that as I was traveling uh, to this conference I was going to with Lynn. And I was just thinking to myself, man, what a helpful, 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 helpful thing to remember. We're all weed and weeds. You know why it's so helpful? It's not just for ourselves. It's for the way that we see the world. Because it means that every single person that you come across, wheat and weeds. The people that you love, wheat, you can so easily say, oh, wheat. <laughs> but also weeds. Every person you don't love so much. You may have some politicians in mind at this point. Weeds that you ID identify easily, but also wheat. The people that have wronged you and hurt you so much where it is very easy for you to say, oh, weeds, Pete, weeds, if you only knew the weeds. And wheat. How do we see each other in the world? And if we chose to see each other in the world as wheat and weeds, how much more graceful might we be with ourselves and other people? How much more quickly might peace come along? So be thinking about these things because Jacob's wheat and weeds shows up very quickly, even in this text. This is who he was. This is what brought this on. And the crazy thing is, is that he had this profound experience of a thin place where he had a vision of God and a heavenly vision which changed his way of thinking, at least for the moment. And for the foreseeable future, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, I sketched this one out to just this morning, this image of uh, this angel. Uh, did anybody beat me on that? A few of your artists, Jenny, I know is, some others. Um, how many of you, just out of curiosity, in your chicken scratching of a, a sketch of an angel, how many of you put wings on your angel? Did any of you put not put wings on your angel? Oh, rebels. Very good. Well, my question is, if... If our traditional rendering of angels means that they have wings, then why was there a staircase to heaven? <laughs> right? Why was there a staircase if they could just take a flight? Well, I think this just briefly speaks to something that is really helpful, again, for us to remind ourselves that even though there's no way uh, that Jacob, by the way, this story was not like a newspaper article that was written right after it happened. This is a story that circulated around the Jewish community for hundreds and hundreds of years. There's God speaking us to right now to say, pay attention to this point. And so we have this, we have this experience of this guy uh, that is recorded and talked about around campfires for hundreds of years. It's not even written down probably for a thousand years after this thing allegedly happened. So it's folklore, and we need to appreciate that. But there's one thing we can also appreciate, and that is that right here in front of your face with the stairwell to heaven, I'll put the pretty picture back there for you, the staircase to heaven, it reflects the Ptolemaic worldview. Because you don't need a staircase to go to the place of God if God is everywhere all the time. 
you need a staircase to get up to heaven if heaven is up there at the top of the dome where the hatch is that God opens to let rain fall on the earth. So it's just a reminder that when we're reading Scripture, we are not reading people who thought like us or viewed the world like us. But the other more important point beyond this question of why does an angel take the stairs is the fact that this Jacob got the, got the thin place, got the epiphany, got the dream anyway. He's kind of a jerk. Yeah, he's not the, the Sunday school star who gets all the answers right. He's not the guy who is running for his life because he's been wrongfully accused. He's running for his life because he's been rightfully accused. He knows it. He planned it. He didn't trip into this. He was, he was a part of the whole thing. That's like the last person in the world you would think God would want to show up for. He's had no a hint of repentance. You know, he's not drifting off to sleep saying, okay, tomorrow morning, I'm going to go back. I'm going to apologize to my brother and my dad. It'll all be fine. This is a terrible idea, mom. Why did you make me do it? He's not doing that at all. He's like, I'm going away for a while. I'm going to let the dust settle. Maybe eventually I'll make my way back. And even when he does many, many years later, I mean, many years later, he comes back with fear and trepidation because he knows the size of the foul that he committed. He's completely aware of his guilt. Why in the world would God show up to that guy? And here's my answer. It's because God shows up to people who are wheat and weeds. God does not limit God's goodness or grace or presence based on our weediness, which is fantastic news. God showing up in our weediness, by the way, is not an endorsement of our weediness in the sense of, yeah, keep going with the weeds, but is simply a reflection of the goodness of God saying, yeah, I know you're wheat and weeds, and I know your weeds are really overtaking the wheat at this point, but I'm with you, and I've got something for you. And I have a hope and a future for you, if you'll take it. Uh, God has a, a plan for our hope and a future. That was Donna Payne's favorite verse, now that I think of it. As we think about how God shows up, this may be particularly important for all of us. Because you may think to yourself, why would God show up to me? Why would God, and especially if we're in a season where Either we're feeling terrible about ourselves or feeling very alone or isolated or no God at all, or maybe we've done something that we're kind of like Jacob and we're like, oh, I'm the last person that God would ever want to show up to. The reality is that the Spirit of God, whatever that is, however we understand that, shows up regardless of what your weediness looks like because that is who God is. You don't have to earn your way to the audience of God. God is already with you, already loving you, as close as your next breath. That's why I love that song, Full Attention. It's because there is no need to wait for God to show up because God already has in every present moment. Do we have the eyes to see and appreciate what already is before us? The divine is all around us. Jacob understood that. And so the next day, he made a cairn. This is kind of what they look like on a trail. You see them all over trails. You see them at national parks. You see them on beaches at Tahoe. Um, they're everywhere. How many of you have seen a cairn in, uh, in the flesh? Yeah, right. 
And uh, all I want to say about this is, is that Jacob wanted to make a marker of this thing. He wanted to mark the moment. This thing happened in my life. Because sometimes if we don't mark the moment, we forget. We forget that it even happened. And I'm telling you that because uh, that is scientifically accurate. Especially if they, especially, even especially, if they are these in-breaking moments of God. You might say to yourself, if I had one of these moments where God spoke to me so clearly, I would never forget about that. But you know what science has to say about that? That you're wrong. That even the most profound things that we can experience over time, if those ideas are not remembered and supported by community, there's like a 99.9% chance that you'll either forget about it or if it's brought back to your attention, you will minimize it. That's data. I'm not making this stuff up. But when we mark the moment, we have a marker to remind us someday on his way back, I don't know if it was still there after all those years when he came back, probably not. Uh, but he remembered making it. And there's something in the making that helps found it, which is part of the reason why I wanted you to scribble on your page today. Because something happens in here and in here when we're doing something out here. But it wasn't just for him. It was for other people to stumble by and wonder, what's going on with the cairn? Why is there a cairn here? And maybe over time, people would have the opportunity to tell the story about when God showed up to even Jacob, who was so weedy that wouldn't ever have expected it. And yet there it was. And the other thing that I wanted to say about that is in this vision that Jacob was remembering, this was the goal that God was trying to talk about. Uh, well-being for all of creation, the whole creation, not just for the Jewish people, but the idea was is that in this new experiment that God was having with the people of Israel, which started with Abraham and then Isaac, his son, and then Jacob, his grandson, whose name many years from this point in history would be changed to Israel, that through Israel, the people of God and this new way of thinking about relating to God would be a presence of peace throughout the whole world. The vision was never just to be about who is going to be the biggest nation in the world, who is going to have the biggest army, who is going to have the biggest bankroll, who is going to force everybody else into submission. The idea was, how can this great thing that is being fostered out of a relationship between God and humanity, how can that turn into a blessing for all of the world, the people in it, the creation itself, what could shalom look like by the people who call themselves the people of shalom? That's the dream. Sometimes we get that really, really mixed up in our modern world where we seem to have lots of different divisive allegiances, country versus country, religion versus religion. Why don't we back up the truck and realize that from a distance, talk to any astronaut who's seen it from a distance, from the distance, the earth is just the earth. You cannot distinguish where the United States is if you didn't have a map uh, looking at it. You can't distinguish who, where the people are. You, you just see this beautiful blue and green rock. When are we going to realize that maybe it's that beauty, this beautiful creation that we call home, that God wants to see restored, wants to see well, wants to be preserved, wants to see it thrive? And we, as those who claim to be in relationship with God, get the opportunity to do that in our large and small ways. I do want to point out to you, though, that even though 
Jacob has had this uh, profound experience. At the end of his experience, he still shows what kind of mindset or paradigm of God that he has because he does something which is very, very common in antiquity that shows up in the Bible and the Old Testament because that's just the way the old that mind, that previous mind thought. So Jacob makes this vow saying, if, <laughs> the statement starts with if, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will surely give one-tenth to you. Well, we still live in a transactional faith reality today. Many of us make this deal with God time and time again. And I want to just first of all recognize that as the human experience I mean, you'd be kind of a moron if, let's say, you believe that God was this speaker right here, and you're asking the speaker, you know, please be with me as I travel from this parking lot. And as soon as you get out of the stoplight, you realize the speaker is no longer with you. But in faith, you're, you're praying to the speaker to be with you somehow. Well, you're going to be disappointed and disappointed and disappointed. You're going to ask the speaker for a glass of water. You're going to ask the speaker for comfort, and you're never, ever going to get it. There is a reality which our paradigms, the way we think about things, if they never ever add up, if they never actually work in your real life, maybe it's time to rethink your paradigm or rethink why it is you believe what you believe. Maybe there's a different way to think about things. But what we're talking about here is not that. We're talking about a God who steps forward, a God who gifts Jacob with this capacity to see and a beautiful vision for the world. And Jacob's very natural human response is not, yeah, I'm in. I've seen enough. I've had this experience. Let's go. His experience is qualification, 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 qualification. God, if you can just meet this long list of legalese terms, then, hey, we might have a deal. It's going to take you like my entire life to make good on this, so get to work. <laughs> and if at the end, finally, uh, you've, you've met all the, all the uh, requirements, then finally I'll sign on the line and I'll state that you are my God, which ends up being decades later. Now, that's not the way it was intended to be. When you take a look at the person of Jesus, by the way, God looks at that. God hears our prayers that are just like that, and God does not walk away from us. Because God just simply sees us as who we are, wheat and weeds. He just says, well, that's where Pete is right now. That's the best he can do. So I guess we got to work with what we've got. And God has done that every step of my life. And God shouldn't have. If God were more like me and more like you, more wheat and weeds human being, I think God would have given up on me multiple times and just said, man, I'm done dealing with this clown. <laughs> Comes out to Dapa with, you know, the, the ego and the assumptions that he has and, you know, does, does what he can do, but it's what we got. And so I'm going to work with him anyway. And the reality is he's going to do that with all of us all throughout our lives. Because it's all that God has to work with. But I just want to caution you to encourage humility in you. That just because 
you see the world like Jacob may have with a Ptolemaic worldview, with a particular theology that is deeply rooted to the last 200 years of Christian history in America, doesn't mean that what you see or dream or envision is 100% accurate to who God is and what is going on and what will go on. We all have the lens of our context. Thanks be to God that God knows that and chooses to come alongside anyway. Wheat, weeds, warts, and all. So I wonder how this intersects with you. I wonder how you see yourself in Jacob as one who is weed and weeds, maybe he's running from something, maybe thinking you don't have any right to God, maybe you think God doesn't even exist, whatever that is. That's cool. But realize that the thing, the person, the one we call God, this greater other, our ground of being, the air that we breathe, all these different ways of thinking about this thing we call God, this person, this being, is always right here. And your behavior does not distance God from you because that is not possible. But it may be giving you a blinder. And your invitation today is to see the vision that is before you and decide who this God is. And do you believe this God is good, that has this kind of view for the world, which means you in the world? And will you trust that? Is there something in you that says it only makes sense that the one whose energy generated all of creation would want all of creation to thrive? And if that's so, and I just invite you to open your eyes a little bit more and wonder a little bit more to see what God might be doing in and through you. I'd like to have just a brief moment of quiet, and then uh, we'll say this rendition of the Lord's Prayer uh, together. So just close your eyes if you're comfortable with that. Breathe deep, and how we're looking for here with the uh, Spirit of God's help is just to answer the question, what spoke to you today? What seems to be sticking with you? Maybe it's not a good thing. Maybe you don't want to know that you've got some weeds. Maybe it's a wonderful thing because you've heard again that you have wheat. How's God messing with you? God, if the greater biblical witness is right, then you really are here present with us. If the sweeping theme from Genesis to Revelation is anywhere near accurate, it means that you're here, that you're with us, that you actually care about us, that you actually want good things for us and the whole world. I pray that we have eyes to see that today. 
I thank you for this story. We've only scratched the surface of it. But I thank you because it reminds us of who we are and who we are and who you are. I pray as we go forward, as we run toward you or away from our fears, that we'll have eyes to see that you are fully with us everywhere we go. To love us, to strengthen us, to comfort us, to bless us. Not for ourselves, but for ourselves and the whole world. May it be so. And so, God, we choose to pray this prayer now. Join me on the screen. Our loving, supportive, holy Abba, your presence is here and everywhere. May your divine commonwealth come. May your will be done through us. We are grateful for the gift of food and work for all to eat their fill. May we work for a world where mutual grace and respect abound. May we foster shalom everywhere. Strengthen us for the work we're called to. Amen. May it be so. Thanks for coming today. Hope you had a great one, and we'll see you next week. All right.